Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. So there is something very specific about Jack Handy's voice. His voice in writing, I mean, although I will say that Jack Handy does speak with a pleasant Texas drawl. Very nice. But but yeah, his comedy. If you're over maybe 35, you probably saw Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy on Saturday Night Live. I can still recall old Mr. Barnslow getting out every morning and nailing a fresh load of tadpoles to that old board of his. Then he'd spin it round and round like a wheel of fortune. And no matter where it stopped, he'd yell, Tadpoles! Tadpoles is a winner! He wrote on that show for more than 15 years. And you don't need to look at a wiki or whatever to suss out which sketches are the Jack Handy sketches. It's all right there. A sketch written by Jack Handy couldn't be more distinct. It's usually silly. It is never timely. It often feels like something a child might have imagined in 1961. Look for a simple premise. For example, in the sketch Giant Businessman, it's a giant businessman. Hello, Laura. Well, I'd better be going. Don't want to be late for work. See, he's nice. I like trying businessman, Mommy. Now, another writer might make that the entire sketch. Every joke, every conflict centering around this one giant businessman trying to, you know, fit in a world that is too small for him. That is a rich vein of comedy. Let's call it too big comedy. And there is some of that in the sketch. The giant businessman ducks his way through his stairway and picks up a tiny phone. But then, he makes a noise complaint. Please, I'm asking you nicely, turn down the music! Well, look, I'm trying to cooperate. Trouble is that uh, I don't want to. Can you understand our position? (laughs) And that is the sketch. It is an absurd premise added to a grounded conflict, and voila, weird, wonderful comedy gold. We had no idea, officer. We'll, we'll, you know, keep it down right away. Well, see that you do. I'm not going to forget this giant businessman! Jack Handy left Saturday Night Live 20 or so years ago. He still writes very funny columns in The New Yorker and many, many books. Deep thoughts, deeper thoughts, deepest thoughts so deep they squeak. Please stop the deep thoughts. What I'd say to the Martians and other veiled threats all of them bangers, like Make Your Stomach Hurt Funny. His latest book is called Escape from Hawaii, A Tropical Sequel. It is, as the title suggests, a sequel. It follows loosely the themes and characters from The Stench of Honolulu, his previous novel. Specifically, there is a nameless, psychopathic buffoon of a narrator, 
a plot that is not that important, some very bizarre situations, and a near-constant stream of jokes. Jack Handy is one of my favorite writers ever. He is the funniest writer of whom I am aware. I am so thrilled to welcome him back on the show. Let's get into it. Jack Handy, uh, welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to get to talk to you again. And I was so happy to sit in my cabin in the Southern Sierras and read this stupid book <laughs> and just <laughs> laugh and laugh and laugh like a jerk oh. all alone by myself. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It's nice to be here. I kept considering like going to the phone, picking it up, calling my wife in Los Angeles just to tell her. You're not going to believe this funny thing from Jack Handy's book. <laughs> oh, thank you. This new book is about a sociopathic idiot who escapes from jail in Hawaii. And I found a – there's like a little chunk. He's escaped into the jungle. And I thought maybe you could start by reading this bit of of him of him as he gets his bearings, I guess. Okay. I decided to lay low and hide out in the jungle. I learned to survive by watching the other animals. From the water buffalo, I learned to let birds pick insects out of my ears and nose. From the wild dog, I learned that endurance is more important than speed, and I was rewarded with a juicy snail. From the hyena, I learned to laugh, and from the hummingbird, I learned to hum. From the python, I learned how to unhinge my jaw so that I could swallow a rat whole. Like the chameleon, I changed colors to blend into the background, but I admit, not very well. From the fruit bat, I learned to sleep hanging upside down from a tree branch. I was at peace with all living things, except for maybe the howler monkey. Then one day, I heard a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> you've been writing jokes for sociopathic idiot <laughs> for like at this point 35 40 years <laughs> yeah yeah it's basically the deep thoughts character is the narrator of the book so you know sociopathic idiot who thinks he's normal yeah one of the things about it is He's not evil in the sense that he is possessed of malice, but he is like, he both doesn't understand the consequences and is completely venal. Like he's completely unconcerned right. with he's, he's oblivious. effects on others. He's oblivious to what he does and thinks he's he's nice. He th actually thinks he's okay. You know, but, uh, and... I don't know what the appeal of that character is, but uh, it uh, it rocks for me. So, <laughs> what did you aspire to be when you were a kid? I, you know, I started writing comedy very early for some reason. Uh, I started writing a humor column in high school, and I'm not sure why. It's probably OCD. A lot of a lot of comedy writers and comedians have. Obsessive compulsive disorder. So maybe it comes from that. But I started writing a humor column in high school and I got a journalism degree, but I was always sort more sort of a 
a humorous. The humor column I want to mention was called, what was it called? Wit and Wisdom to Whittle By or something like that? Witty word. My friend of mine, Rob Meek, uh, named it. It was Witty Words to Whittle By. Hey, you, you've done your research. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did it have a premise or was it like a, was it like a three-dot column like Larry King? Uh, usually it had a premise. Uh, I got in trouble one time. I remember I wrote a funny cafeteria menu that, that made fun of all the meals and I got called down to the principal's office for that. But uh, uh, even back then I was doing James Bond parodies because, you know, it was it was funny back then. <laughs> well, I mean, James Bond is a sociopathic idiot (laughs) that's his you know well the best the best uh comedy for me is involved with mythic things and james bond is mythic and like cowboys are mythic and the jungle wilderness is mythic so i i don't know why but those seem to present the the best opportunities for comedy for me when you were a teenager did you like the kind of silly idea comedy that you went on to make? Or did you like, you know, Carson jokes or, you know, fast talking banter or what? I liked all that stuff. Um, I I think my first joke I ever sold was to Steve Allen and, uh, and he wrote me back and said, your name sounds like a product. Uh, get your new Jack Candy. It slices, it dices. Uh, but yeah, I liked, I liked all that stuff. I liked Mad Magazine. I liked National Lampoon. I liked uh, Johnny Carson. I liked uh, the Pythons especially. So uh, yeah, I, I had pretty uh, broad taste, I guess. How did you get a joke to Steve Allen? I think I just wrote to him. And uh, and uh, said, uh, you know, can I can I write for you? And he said, well, if I get a show, you can. And meanwhile, if you get a show, I'll come write for you. <laughs> so, but uh, I think he did it at a at a concert, uh, one of his performances. So, um, that was that was my first joke. Do you remember what it was? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I think it was a whole routine. It was it was drawn from one of my humor columns. So, yeah. Was this when you were out of college? Yeah, I was out of college. Um, I I do remember the first joke. I I sold a joke when I went to L.A. to Jimmy J.J. Walker because you could walk you walk into the comedy store and like hey, and so I sold him the joke and I do remember that joke, which was like. You know, it's hard to get uh, help, you know, household help these days. I saw an ad for uh, uh, wanted live-in maid, must-have own house. So he liked that for some Not a great joke, but he liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little surreal for Jimmy J.J. Yeah. J. Walker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he bought it, 50 bucks, which was good back then. Yeah. That seems like heavy money. Yeah. <laughs> Even more still to come with Jack Handy. After a quick break, which Saturday Night Live hosts did Jack Handy crack up? And how many jokes about rotten potatoes did it take? We'll get the answer from the man himself. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. 
That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Prime Video. Find your favorite shows like Reacher Season 2, Rent or buy new release movies like Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Get everything included with Prime and add on hundreds of streamers like Max for True Detective Night Country. One app, one password, Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands. But because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Jack Handy. He's one of the greatest to ever write for Saturday Night Live. He's a regular in The New Yorker, and he's the author of great books like Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy and Fuzzy Memories with Jack Handy. His latest is a novel called Escape from Hawaii, a tropical sequel. Let's get back into my conversation with the legend himself, Jack Handy. And yes, that is his real name. When you graduated from college, did you have the idea you were going to go into show business or did you think, I'm just going to become a newspaper reporter? Boy, I couldn't get a job, you know, and I finally got a job, you know, and you start thinking, oh, I'll go to law school. Oh, I'll do this. I'll do that. Finally, I got a job at uh, Carlsbad, New Mexico, the Carlsbad Current Argus for $90 a week. And I was off and running <laughs> in my journalism career. But even then, I started – I kept writing humor pieces. So uh, that was my real goal, I guess. I never was a really uh, serious, hardcore reporter. I usually did kind of the Charles Kuralt kind of stuff, you know, like the old blacksmith still working, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, so uh, – and eventually, I uh, – I, I got a reporting job here in Santa Fe for in the early 70s for New Mexico, and I lived next door to uh, Steve Martin before he was famous. Uh, maybe you know this story, but uh, he, you know, he would come over and play his banjo and stuff, and then he started taking off on The Tonight Show, and I wrote him, and I said, hey, here's some jokes. Can I write for your act? And that was my uh, proverbial lucky break, you know, and, and he called me out to Hollywood for his first TV special. So, did he know that you were a comedy guy when the two of you lived next door to each other? I don't think so. I don't think so. He didn't know until I sent him some humor columns and some jokes, and he was very kind. And he said, "Boy, you won't believe how much stuff, uh, how much crap I get sent to me," and and was very nice about my stuff. So, you know, I was one of about three or four writers on his first special. So um, he moved me. I was staying at a, uh, a motel on uh, Sunset. 
<laughs> it was a pretty sleazy part of town. And, and Steve finally moved me into a, a nice hotel. He goes, yeah, Jack's uh, staying at the Murderer's Hotel down there. on <laughs> so, so he moved me to a nice fancy hotel. So that was good. Was Steve Martin how you ended up in the sort of Lorne Michaels averse? Yeah, he recommended me to Lorne and uh, got me – Pretty much on on Saturday Night Live, first the new show and then Saturday Night Live. And I thought the new show was going to last forever. I moved to New York and go, oh, gave up my L.A. house and go, oh, this is going to – we're going to be in New York forever. And then, uh (laughs) uh-oh, back in L.A. (laughs) And then then he got Saturday Night Live and called me up on that, yeah. The new show was a primetime sketch show, right? Right, and – you know, I've worked on a few primetime sketch shows, and unless they're a special, they hardly ever work. I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's people – people want to see a sitcom in primetime. They want to see characters, a family, and ideas are for, like, late night. I, I don't know why, but I've worked on some good – the new show was a good, had an amazing writing cast and uh, uh, writers and, and cast and, and – but boy, just finished with the finish last in the ratings, and I've been on other shows like that too. It's just I think it's just the curse of prime time with sketches. I don't know. Did you ever feel like you were able to write to performers in the way that Saturday Night Live rewards? Because one of the ways that Saturday Night Live is always sort of welcomed people back, been been, mm-hmm. been a warm place to come back to for audiences, mm-hmm. is that. It will have an Adam Sandler who brings so much Adam Sandlery flavor mm-hmm. that you feel like you're visiting your friend Adam Sandler, whether he's doing Opera Man or, uh, you know, a, another Adam Sandler thing where he talks like a baby. Adam Sandler is very funny. This is not anti-Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I I was never – um. I never wrote for like the characters that the actors had. I usually just wrote a little play and cast it. And that was one of the great things about Saturday Night Live was we we cast uh, – we didn't, didn't say fireman number one or fireman number two. We would say Dana, Adam. You know, So the actors had to be nice to us because we would cast them in, in pieces. And uh, you know, Phil Hartman was my usual go-to guy because he was so – uh, could do anything, and so I would just plug him into my little play. So the thing about Hartman, I mean, obviously Hartman was just a really elegant performer who could just nail any joke. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the reasons, maybe, that he dovetailed so well with what you write is that he's able to live in a world of sort of. 1965 style sincerity uh, while also being completely deranged (laughs) without losing any of his warmth and groundedness. (laughs) Yeah. 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 He, he was a a incredible performer and uh, you know, this is weird. I, I still have dreams occasionally. Like I'm on the set at Saturday Night Live, and Phil is there, and I'm going, Phil. I thought you were dead, and they, he just kind of ignores me. <laughs> but he he was just an incredible talent, and he was just so um, 
adept uh, on his feet. Like I could go and make some major changes in a sketch and go and he's in makeup and go, okay, Phil, here you're going to say this. You're going to – then you're going to turn around and do this and blah, blah, blah. He goes, yeah, is it on cards? Great. And then he would just go out and nail it, you know. Let's hear a little bit of a version of <laughs> this is this is a Saturday Night Live sketch called Anne Boleyn with Hartman <laughs> and uh, Candace Bergen, and <laughs> Candace Bergen is Anne Boleyn, and and Hartman is explaining to her what's going to happen tomorrow when she's <laughs> executed. Mm-hmm. After I'm beheaded, what will happen to my head? It will be placed on top of a wall for public display. People will be allowed to throw things at it in attempts to knock it off the wall. How many throws will each person get before another person gets to throw? Three. Will they be allowed to throw anything? Within reason. Would a rotten potato be considered reasonable? I'm afraid it would, madam. But I mean, a really rotten one, all mushy and such. And when my head is knocked off the wall, will the dirt and mud be brushed off my face before it is set back on the wall? I'm not sure, Your Grace. I will check it out. Thank you, Norfolk. It's the specificity and wrongheadedness of her concerns. (laughs) She's she's one of the few hosts I've actually made crack up at read through reading it. You know, she had to stop because she was laughing so so much. You know, so that was a nice compliment, I guess. I kind of get the impression from the outside that um, you managed at Saturday Night Live to build up a bulwark of credibility for writing these sketches that are not the kind of thing that Saturday Night Live specializes in. Um, The kind of sketches that run at the end of the show because they're too funny not to include in the show. (laughs) Um, Well, I I was in that zone a lot uh, where it's just too weird. And and yeah, like the uh, 1250 slot. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I was in that slot Quite a few times, but fortunately, some other times the 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 sketch would get popular, even though it was weird, like Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. I'm just a caveman. I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by some of your scientists. Your world frightens and confuses me. Sometimes the honking horns of your traffic make me want to get out of my BMW. And run off into the hills or whatever. Sometimes when I get a message on my fax machine, I wonder, did little demons get inside and type it? I don't know. Did Lauren Michaels even like those ones? I remember uh, he was uh, – I was a co-producer one year, so I was in the room with the meetings. And and I remember he was he was sort of surprised that – you know, I heard from my friends. They thought Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer was, as was asked after the first time it was on, they thought it was pretty funny. You know, he was actually kind of surprised at that. I was like, oh, well, that was the intention, you know. <laughs> anyway. I mean, it takes so much 
to, for the audience to make the kind of connection with unfrozen caveman lawyer type material that uh, relative to the connection that they immediately make with a parody of Bob Dole right. or or Dana Carvey doing something Dana Carvey-y that you recognize that's my favorite funny person Dana Carvey in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're 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 ready to laugh, but I remember the first time uh uh Dana and uh Kevin came in and they said, "Hey, let's do uh Hans and Franz for Jack." They came in my office and I, and I was just on the floor. I thought it was hilarious. And then when they did it, I think it was like one of the last pieces in the show and the audience wasn't really laughing. And I think sometimes the audience thinks it's funny, but they don't they don't want to laugh to interrupt it. You know, they want to keep hearing it. And then uh-huh. and then it uh then it kicked in and after that everybody, you know, would clap their hands for Hans and Franz when when they would clap. So so I think sometimes it takes an initial like, oh, this is kind of weird, but I like it kind of feeling for the audience. And sometimes it's just, this is weird and I hate it. <laughs> uh. When you were writing these kinds of things for Saturday Night Live, did you have your eye on something else the way that people so often do when they're working on SNL? Like, did you think what I'm, what I'm going to do next is write the new Bringing Up Baby or... Um, I was very happy at Saturday Night Live and, and and it was very stressful, of course. You know, I still have dreams where it's Tuesday writing night and, and I don't have an idea. Uh, a friend of mine said, that's, oh, that sounds like PTSD. <laughs> but uh, I was very lucky to, to work on Saturday Night Live because we controlled our whole piece. Like we would cast it, we would write it. And I don't know how it is now, but back then, you did not have to rewrite anything that – you you didn't have to change anything if you didn't want to. Sometimes even Lauren Michaels would go, Jack, we need – you know, uh, I wrote a piece that uh, Jerry Hall was in and Mick Jagger and she, they didn't like the ending, which was really silly. And Lauren was trying to get me to change it and I didn't change it. And that's the way – that was the great thing about Saturday Night Live is like you were in charge of the material. You did – you had to do all the work to produce it, you know, with the, the prop – check on the props and the – you know, the costumes and uh, the set. Um, but you, uh, the payoff was you got to control your piece all the way to the end. And maybe it would flop at dress rehearsal, but at least you controlled it. And there probably aren't many shows that I could work on like that. Um, I, I, I was lucky. Some, you know, a friend of mine said there are good shows and there are good shows to work on. Um, he said, like, The Simpsons is a good show. Saturday Night Live is a good show to work on because we would work like 20 weeks a year. The Simpsons worked almost all year round, <laughs> you know. So I I think I was very lucky to work there and I probably wasn't real. I, I had some offers to go to other shows, but I was happy staying at Saturday Night Live. Were you pitching sitcoms? Uh, no. Well, I pitched uh, – we did actually did a pilot. It was called Tunsis and Friends. It was Tunsis the Cat and Friends and Sketches. And uh, it almost got on. It almost got picked up. Uh, uh, I think they aired it on like Valentine's Day, uh, Friday, you know, which is like death, death trap day. 
And it actually got pretty good ratings, and I, I heard it almost got picked up. But again, it was a sketch show in, in prime time, and, you know, they're kind of taboo. So anyway, but uh, no, I never really went into pit sitcoms. I, I'm not a very good sitcom writer. I, I, I don't understand uh, what you're going for there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can understand like how Larry David did. Seinfeld, because it was kind of autobiographical, and it was he was controlling it, you know. And, you know, maybe I might have wanted to do something like that, but I was perfectly happy at Saturday Night Live because we had good parties. So uh, they probably don't have good parties on sitcoms. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I can understand why. I mean, I might guess that one of the appeals of writing for the page is how focused you can make that voice that is yours and kind of own it. Yeah. Uh, I got so people would recognize my pieces, which is nice because of the tone and so forth. Um, so like I say, I, I wasn't the kind to write for, you know, and Adam Sandler did some great uh, – characters and Dana did great characters, but those are their characters that that I I generally like I, I don't like to write for characters that I that I didn't create. I don't know why, but uh it just seems not as much fun to me. I don't know. It seems more tedious. I don't know. But uh so then you end up at the uh twelve fifty slot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mean to put too fine a point on it, but you barely like to write for characters. <laughs> yeah, I barely do. What, do. what do you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you could argue that sociopathic idiot is a character. Yeah, but right. it is the vaguest outline of a character you could possibly have right. and still claim that you're writing a novel. Right. Um, and you know, I think that. Often what you are writing about is, as you said, like a mythic idea <laughs> that is inserted in a premise, right? Anne Boleyn, it's not like you're it's not like you're writing about the particular things about Anne Boleyn that you want to highlight, whether it's in performance or manner of speech or whatever. It's just this particular idea, mythic character Anne Boleyn, historical figure Anne Boleyn. What if she had unusually specific questions about what was going to happen? <laughs> a, a lot, of, yeah. A lot of times you think of. Uh, sometimes you'll think of what would be a funny image, or, and then you back up to explain that, uh, which maybe is what happened with Anne Boleyn. You know, it's just like uh, here she is. You know, what would she talk about at her? execute her method of execution so yeah and then you back up to like oh what if she has this what yeah uh sometimes it's just an image you'll go with like maybe unfrozen caveman lawyer was that way where it's and then you back up to explain it how that image came to be anyways that that works sometimes not always but we'll finish up my conversation with jack handy in just a minute when we come back from the break when i first asked jack handy to come on the show he politely declined because he told me that he might sell too many books. <laughs> he, he apparently is packing and shipping his own books. Is his workload more manageable now? 
We'll ask the man himself. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from Jackson. Let's face it, retirement planning can be confusing. At Jackson, we're working to make retirement clear for everyone, starting with you. Our easy-to-understand resources and user-friendly digital tools help simplify your entire experience. You can have confidence in your retirement with clarity from Jackson. Seek the clarity you deserve at Jackson.com. Jackson is short for Jackson Financial Incorporated, Jackson National Life Insurance Company, Lansing, Michigan, and Jackson National Life Insurance Company of New York, Purchase, New York. What is up, people of the world? Do you have an argument that you keep having with your friends and you just can't seem to settle it? And you're sitting there arguing about whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars, or you can't decide what is the best nut, or can't agree on what is the best cheese. Stop doing that. Listen to We Got This with Mark and Hal, only on Max Fun. Your topics asked and answered objectively, definitively, for all time. So don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Jack Handy. He's a longtime comedy writer. He spent 15 years on Saturday Night Live and writes regularly for The New Yorker. He has a new book called Escape from Hawaii. Let's hear one of the pieces that made your name a household name and led people even above and beyond Steve Allen to believe that it was a made-up <laughs> name. Um, and that's deep thoughts, um, which were presented essentially as a, like a video postcard with words on the screen and, and not much else. Let's listen. If you're at a Thanksgiving dinner, but you don't like the stuffing or the cranberry sauce or anything else, just pretend you're eating it, but instead put it into your lap and form it into a big mushy ball. Then later, when you're out back having cigars with the boys, let out a big cough and throw the ball to the ground. <laughs> then say, boy, these are good cigars. <laughs> when you're having cigars with the boys. With the boys, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, li I like a guy, uh, that character likes to pretend he, like he's one of the guys, you know, but he's just, <laughs> he's just a, a psycho, basically. <laughs> Did you know when you started writing those that that was what you were born to do? I had a good feeling about it. Uh, and it started off in some little magazines and stuff. And uh, Michael Nesmith actually put it on the first time on television parts. And, um, yeah, it, I, I had a hard time getting it on Saturday Night Live. It took a while to, you know, I – did some good write, sketch writing, and then finally they gave it to me. Was that because your name was on it? Yeah, but the irony is people think it's a made-up name, so <laughs> I, don't right. really, I don't really get the credit. Uh, uh, yeah, they go, oh, Jack Handy, that's a made-up name, and uh, I guess it is made up. Uh, my parents made it up. Uh, but, yeah, it took me a long time to get it on SNL, and then, you know, it, it got popular, so – do you think that it would have been the same without your name on it for you? Without my name on it? Um, what if it had just been exactly the same? Mm -hmm. Hartman's reading it instead of you. 
Mm-hmm. And it doesn't say by Jack Handy. No, that wouldn't work for me. And as a matter of fact, uh, I think at one point I got an offer from David Letterman to come do them for his show, but he would read them. And I just said, no, it's my property. You know, I have to, it has to have my name on it. Sorry. You know, um, it's just the way it is. So, so yeah, yeah, it got, it, it was controversial because it had my name on it. But then, you know, other people have had their names like, uh, Schiller's real, um, so finally it got on anyway, and it got pretty popular. Do you get a lot of pleasure out of distilling those jokes? It's it's really just uh, – no, it's mostly work. And you have to it's, – it's, it's an incredible amount of throwaways. I would say nine out of ten are throwaways. They're no good. And so you just have to go through them and like hunt for a nugget. And if it still makes you laugh after a few days, and then, then that might work. And I had some good tester friends who I'd try them out on. And, and so eventually you get kind of a consensus. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, they're fun to write, but, uh, the ones that I would think like I would rate, oh, this is a killer are usually the worst. The ones that you think are are pretty good are usually the best. I don't know why. But you go, oh, this is a killer piece. And then you show it to somebody, huh? <laughs> so uh, so you're, sometimes your judgment is not great about your own writing, uh, needless to say. You live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is where you're speaking to me from. Yes. You lived in New York for decades and decades, but skip town do you want a quiet desert lifestyle like is that what you want for yourself yeah now i do when i first moved here from new york i i I missed the city terribly like for a couple of three years i was like oh should we move back to new york and uh but then you go back and visit and you go like Wow, it's really loud here, <laughs> and it's really stinky, and it's really expensive, and you, you just and also, you know, when you live in New York, it's like you have people above you and on either side of you and below you, and it's so nice in Santa Fe. Like I'm, I'm on like three acres here, and it's like no neighbors. You know, it's it's like refreshing from New York. You know, New York is a great town. I love living there. It's exciting, but. Uh, you know, at a certain point, yeah, I realize you get on the subway car and you realize, ah, I'm the oldest person in the car. You know, <laughs> it becomes it becomes too much work to live in New York after a while, at least at my age. So anyway, I will say that you're the only person who's ever been invited on my show and postponed the invitation because they were worried they would sell too much product. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anthony, is it? Does he pronounce his last name Jeselnik? Jeselnik. Jeselnik. Yeah. Well, he did. He plugged me on his podcast, and I just was inundated with orders. And like, it's just me and my wife trying to fill the orders. And so I was like, oh. And and you were kind enough to invite me on your show, and I was like, oh, could we wait? You know, because like, let me catch up. So I'm finally caught up now. Anyway. But I mean, you've known your wife since you were teens. 
And uh, there's a part of me that wonders if you just write books so that you can hand something to her and see if she likes it. <laughs> well, she's she's my tester. And as I say in uh, the end of this book, uh, Escape from Hawaii, I go, there's not many people that you can try a joke out on and then and have them say, that's terrible. And my wife <laughs> is one of them. She's done it many times. So, you know, it's a, it's a good – it's really good to have someone who's not trying to please you and go, oh, that's not bad, you know, like, it's, no, you just go, no, that doesn't work, you know. So uh, she, uh, uh, yeah, she's she's been very patient <laughs> when I try stuff out on her, you know, I'm sure she is happy when a book is finished. She's like, oh, God, now I don't have to hear the bad jokes. Our audience at home can't see you, but often as you remember these sketches and their premises, you stare off at a 45-degree angle sort of into the horizon, cross your arms, and you get a look on your face that says, in retrospect, I still enjoy this, but I also am concerned. Where is this from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's like my friend Ian Fraser has said, you're a, you're a different writer at different points in your life. And sometimes you look back at something and go, "Wow, what was I thinking then?" you know, and and you just you're not the same writer as you were 20 years ago. Um and sometimes you're kind of amazed like, "Hey, uh that was pretty good. Where did that come from?" <laughs> Well, I sure appreciate your time. It's really nice to get to talk to you and see you again. Well, it's a pleasure to talking to you. And, and you, boy, you did good research and you got some nice clips. And uh, thank you. Jack Handy. His new book, Escape from Hawaii, a tropical sequel, is available to purchase from his website, which is deepthoughtsbyjackhandy.com. And you know what? I think you should buy Jack Handy's book, even if it makes Jack busy. In fact, I say we should fill up his entire email box with orders for this hilarious book so that he becomes very, very grumpy. Rich and grumpy. I love you, Jack Handy. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. I have been driving around Los Angeles delivering copies of Jack Handy's book to all my friends. I ordered a bunch of them, and he made them sign them to everyone I know. So we're making the deliveries now. Deep Thoughts by JackHandy.com. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Merritt Davis. Special thanks this week to Edgar at Stepbridge Studios in Santa Fe for recording Jack Handy. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is Huddle Formation, written and recorded by the Go team. Thanks to them and thanks to Memphis Industries their label. Bullseye is on Instagram where we are sharing all kinds of stuff, uh, interview highlights and behind the scenes looks. And like I said, all kinds of stuff at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne, also on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.